Hello and welcome to this tax and fiduciary podcast brought to you by Investec. I'm your host, Nozipo Shabalala. In these podcasts, we aim to help you navigate the different processes and laws when moving to an international geography or if you hold assets in that geography. And so in today's podcast, we're going to be focusing on the UK, but you can also listen to our podcasts about the US, Mauritius and Australia by simply clicking on the separate links on this page. There's lots coming up in this conversation. We're going to be touching on pre-arrival planning. We're going to look at key South African and UK considerations. We're going to look at residence and domicile and non-dom regimes and remittance spaces of taxation. We're also going to touch on UK tax consequences and other UK resident beneficiaries and lead into foreign income and capital gains tax. Finally, we're also going to touch on the benefits and implications of setting up an offshore trust. And so I'm really grateful today that we've got two incredible guests joining me now. I'm joined by Elizabeth Fick. She is the joint head looking after tax and fiduciary for investing. And she comes into this conversation with a wealth of experience as an international expert on tax and estate planning. We're also joined by Catherine DeMade, a partner at UK law firm Burgess Salmon. Uh, she is part of a 40-strong tax and private client team uh, specializing in international tax, trusts, and estate planning advice for a wide range of clients from high net worth individuals to leading private banks and other financial institutions. Catherine has a particular affinity for South Africa, having lived and worked here for 12 years, including at Investex Cape Town office. So Lizzie joins us from Stellenbosch and uh, Catherine joins us from Bristol. I'm here in Johannesburg. Hello and welcome to you both. Hi, Nozine. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Hi, Nozzy. Um, Hi, Liz. It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Lizzie, I want to start off with you. What should those moving to the UK consider? Yes, so Nozi, as you mentioned, we see more and more of our clients actually setting assets offshore and investing into the UK. And not only are they investing in the UK, but they themselves are becoming more global and actually basing themselves out of the UK. I mean, if you just ask yourself the question, do you know someone currently living and working in the UK? Nine times out of 10, the answer is in fact yes. So obviously, if you have assets in the UK or you yourself are based in the UK, you're going to be subject to not only South African rules, but to the rules which are in the UK. Now, we see a number of pitfalls which people trip over. And I always say to clients is that when you are moving around or you're shifting assets offshore, you really don't want to go from the frying pan into the fire because quite often that ends up happening if you haven't done your planning properly. Um, There are a number of things you need to consider. Citus taxes, for example, the way distributions from trusts, both locally and offshore, are taxed. But that being said, it's not all doom and gloom. There are a number of benefits which you could take advantage of if you have situated yourself in the UK. For example, you touched on it, the UK res non-dom regime or the remittance basis of taxation. But the most important part of that is making sure that you do your planning. Planning really is key. I love the analogy that you've introduced in this conversation, Liz. So we're certainly trying to make sure that 
we are surfacing insights that help us to navigate complexity so that we're not jumping from the frying pan into the fire. So Catherine, let me bring your voice in here. What is the nom-dom regime or remittance basis, put simply, of taxation? But perhaps more importantly, how does it apply to South Africans relocating to the UK? Of course. Thanks, Nizzi. Um, before I explain the remittance basis and the non-DOM regime, which is, is a really advantageous way of being taxed if you get advice before arriving, I need to just explain a couple of concepts which we need to understand before we move on to that. So those are the, the UK concepts of residence and domicile. But if we start with residence first, the UK has got a statutory residence test which is complicated, but thankfully it's clear. So once a client has given us all details of how much time they've spent in the UK and the number of ties they're likely to have in the UK once they arrive, and ties cover things like accommodation, whether they work in the UK and whether they've got close family members who will be living in the UK with them, we can apply that test and we can work out with certainty whether they will become UK resident and if so exactly when they're going to become UK resident. So residence has got nothing to do with intention, it's all to do with the amount of time you spend in the UK and the number of ties you've got. Domicile is a fairly unique concept to English law, it's sort of more of an emotional concept of where you consider your home to be. So in some respects, it's got quite an overlap with the South African concept of ordinary residence. We've got two main types of domicile. One is domicile under common law or case law, and the other is a statutory form of domicile known as deemed domicile status. So no one can be without a domicile under English law, that's important to remember, and it's different to a person's place of residence or or nationality. Typically, if you're born in South Africa to South African parents, you will have a South African domicile of origin and you're not going to acquire a UK domicile of choice unless and until two things happen. One is you need to be physically living in the UK. And the second crucial thing is that you need to have formed the intention to stay in the UK and make it your permanent or indefinite home. So it's entirely possible, and a number of my clients are in this position, that you can move to the UK and live here for a significant amount of time without acquiring a UK domicile under common law. It all depends on what your long-term intentions are. The statutory form of domicile, so deemed domicile status, has nothing to do with intention. You will become deemed domiciled once you've been UK resident for at least 15 out of the last 20 tax years. So those hopefully, hopefully that's a quick, quick run through some important concepts. Those are incredibly important concepts, and I think they've uh, opened us up to really hit the ground running in some of the more detailed conversations that we're going to be leading into. Starting, of course, Liz, with, you know, having listened to Catherine, how is this different from South African residents? And I suppose one of the biggest questions for our listeners could be, can you be taxed in both jurisdictions? Yes, Nazi. So that's actually quite a good question that you ask. Domicile is a completely foreign concept to South African law. So we don't have it anywhere in South African law. All we have is our tax residency tests, which are contained in our Income Tax Act. Now, the reason why tax residency is so important is because if you are a tax resident of South Africa, South Africa has the right to tax you on a worldwide basis. So they can tax you regardless of where you're generating your income, be it in the UK, wherever. 
if you are considered a tax resident in terms of the test as set out in the Income Tax Act. Now, the tests are quite technical, but I like to explain it in quite a simple way. And a lot of my clients think I'm crazy when I tell them tax residency is actually what I call a pipe and slippers or shoes and handbags test. Now, essentially what it is, is that if your pipe and slippers or your shoes and handbags, your home, your children, your everyday lifestyle is here in South Africa, you are ordinarily resident in South Africa and South Africa has the right to tax you. The second test which we have is a physical presence test. So if you spend the majority of your time, and it's quite a detailed day counting test which you need to do, but if you spend the majority of your time here in South Africa, you will also be considered tax resident in South Africa. So those are the two tests which we have. Something that brings in a lot of confusion is the fact that we also have exchange controls in South Africa. So a lot of people will come to me and say, oh, Liz, but I've formally immigrated or I'm financially immigrating. I've gone through the whole Reserve Bank immigration process. It's relevant, but it's not the determining factor. The determining factor is whether or not in terms of those pipe and slipper or shoes and handbags test or the physical presence test as set out in the Income Tax Act, whether you are tax resident or not. If you meet those requirements, regardless of whether you've gone through the Reserve Bank process or the formal immigration process, you will still be considered a tax resident in South Africa. Now, on the second part of your question is, does this mean that I could end up paying tax in both jurisdictions? So what happens if South Africa considers me to be tax resident, and the UK considers me to be tax resident. Thankfully, all is not lost. You're not in a dire situation because South Africa and the UK have a double tax agreement and the DTA or the double tax agreement, it's quite a complex area of law, but generally it will provide relief and it will determine which country is going to have the primary taxing rights over you. So I love the test of the pipe and slippers or shoes and handbag. And of course, there's the physical presence test as well. But maybe, Catherine, how does this relate in the UK's context in regards to taxes? Are you looking at pipes and slippers and shoes and handbags as well as one of the tests? Sure. I suppose our domicile test, you could call it a pipe and slippers and, and shoes and handbags test. It's a, it's a bit similar to that. So um, I might steal that analogy in the future and use it. Thank you. Catherine, I'm sure you have as many shoes and handbags as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if we use the, the UK concept so that, then, that I've just described, so domicile and residence, I think then, Nozzy, I'll explain how they impact your liability to UK taxes. So domicile is the main connecting factor when we're looking at someone's liability to inheritance tax or our equivalent of estate duty. And it's high in the UK. So our top rate of inheritance tax is 40%. So it's, it's a big consideration for people moving to the UK. So our basic rule is that if you are UK domiciled, either under common law or deemed domiciled under statute, you're subject to inheritance tax in the UK on your worldwide assets subject to any exemptions and relief. Luckily, we don't have estate duty double tax agreements with many countries, but we do have one with South Africa. So again, hopefully you won't be subject to estate duty in South Africa and inheritance tax in the UK. 
A person who's not UK domiciled is only liable to inheritance tax in respect of property situated in the UK. And I know we're going to discuss a bit about CITES later, but that's essentially things like UK real estate or shares in UK companies. So that's, that's domicile and inheritance tax. Then residence is the main connecting factor for working out a person's liability to UK income and capital gains tax. But domicile, as we'll see, also plays a role in determining the precise basis on which a person will be assessed to those taxes. So individuals who are UK residents are generally the default basis is that you're taxed on the arising basis of taxation, which means worldwide. So where, you know, wherever your income and gains are, you'll be taxed in the UK. And that's the same basis that applies to South Africans who are tax residents in South Africa. But if you are UK resident, but not UK domiciled, you can elect to be taxed not on the arising basis, but instead on a much more favourable basis of taxation, which is known as the remittance basis of taxation. And what that means is that UK resident but not domiciled individuals can choose to be only taxed on UK source income and gains. So things like employment income from you know, work in the UK or dividends from shares that are situated in the UK. And they won't be taxed on any foreign income and gains unless they physically bring that foreign income and gains or remit it to the UK. And that's where the term remittance basis comes from. So with the right advice and the right planning, you can structure yourself to live very tax efficiently in the UK by effectively limiting the amount of foreign income and gains you bring into the UK. It's free to claim it for the first seven years of tax rates by residents. But then from year eight, it goes up. If you want to keep on claiming it, you have to pay a charge. It's £30,000 for years eight to 12 of tax residents. And then once you've been here for 13 years, it goes up to £60,000 per annum. And you can't claim it once you become deemed domiciled. Catherine, I think that's a really nuanced and insightful explanation that you've shared with us. But I perhaps want to add an, an additional layer of complexity, Lizzie. And that is to ask the question, what if one is the settler and beneficiary of an existing South African structure? What would that mean then? So, Nosy, that's a good question because we get it often from our clients is that either they themselves who established a trust have gone to live in the UK or their children are now living in the UK and they're actually making distributions. And usually we work backwards when we do the planning, i.e. what's the UK issues that we need to take into account and a lot and then we look at the essay consequences but the essay consequences are pretty significant from both a tax and an exchange control perspective so if we start with exchange control what the rule is is that a south african trust cannot make a payment directly offshore so if you are making payments either to yourself or to your children in the UK, what needs to happen is that you're going to have to pay it into a local bank account and you or your children are then going to have to use your foreign investment allowance, which is currently at 10 million, to externalize those assets into the UK. Unless you've gone through a formal reserve bank immigration process and you've placed your interest in the trust on record with the reserve bank and they have determined that assets may be sent offshore from the trust. It's quite complex on whether or not the Reserve Bank will actually allow this, and you need to do quite a detailed analysis of the funding of the structure, Um, but I'm not going to bore everyone with, with that. From a tax perspective, 
Basically, what happens is the conduit principle is no longer allowed in respect of capital gains. Now, a lot of people say, what's the conduit principle? It sounds very fancy, where actually they're utilizing it nine times out of ten in their own structure already. And basically what the conduit principle is, it's the principle or the rule which says that capital gain, which is generated in a trust and subsequently distributed to a beneficiary, may be taxed in the hands of a beneficiary as opposed to within the trust. Now, the reason why we like that rule is because an individual pays at 18%, where a trust pays at 36%. Now, getting into the not-so-fun part is with non-resident beneficiaries. So, Beneficiaries and settlers who have their pipe and slippers or their shoes and handbags in the UK, the conduit principle for capital gain is not allowed, which means that that capital gain has to be taxed in the trust at a rate of 36%. So from an SA perspective, you already in quite a high tax situation and you haven't then even got into what the position is in the UK. Sure. So we've just heard now the South African perspective. I want to flip the coin and come back to you, Catherine. What are the UK tax consequences and for any other UK resident beneficiaries if one relocates to the UK? Sure. And this is, as as Lizzie mentioned, this is a really common area. And I spend quite a bit of my time looking at structures. As as Lizzie will know, it's, it's very common for South Africans to have both a local domestic South African trust and an offshore trust. So we always review those structures in detail before someone arrives. The rules relating to the taxation of offshore trusts and South African trusts in the UK, because we that they both considered to be offshore for our purposes, are really complicated and highly technical. So I'm going to do my very best to try and simplify them. Uh, and these are obviously, this is a sort of a generalisation of the very detailed rules. But broadly speaking, how it works is if we look at the set law first, the, the set law is will be taxed on the arising basis on any UK situated investments within the trust. So if there's any UK source, but only on the income. So if there's any UK source income within the structure, the set law is going to be taxed at his or her marginal rate on that income, whether or not he receives it or she receives it. So simply, you want to generally speaking, you want to avoid having UK source income within the structure. But that's the only tax the set law is going to have on the arising basis. So the set law won't pay any tax on gains within the structure. And that's whether they're UK gains or non-UK gains. So that's some good news. And if we look at beneficiaries other than the set law, just one thing to mention that can be useful is that it's it's very common, as, as Liz will know, for South Africans to have loan accounts to trusts because of your donations tax. And it can often be the case that it's possible for the set law or any other beneficiary who's made a loan to the trust to get repayment of that loan in the UK tax free, even if it's funded with foreign income or gains. We need to look at it carefully and we need to look at when exactly the loan was made, but but some good news. So it is possible to sometimes structure repayments of that loan tax efficiently. But if we look at distributions as opposed to loan repayments, we've got really wide anti-avoidance rules, which will come into play in most situations. And they're known as the matching rules. 
how those rules work is that we look back to when the trust was created, even if it was created, you know, years ago before there were any UK resident beneficiaries. And we look at all income that has arisen in the trust and, and not been paid out. And we look at all gains that have been realized in the trust and the income goes, goes into the income pool and the, and the realized gains go into the gains pool. And then again, broadly speaking, whenever there's a distribution to a UK resident beneficiary, you look at this, the value of what they've received and then you look at the income pool. And if there's sufficient income in the income pool to match to that distribution, it will match and, you will, and the beneficiary will be pay tax in the UK on that distribution at their marginal rate. If they're a remittance basis user, they don't pay tax unless they remit it to the UK. Um, but, but often the fact is they need the money in the UK to live off. So that doesn't always help them. So broadly speaking, they're going to pay income tax, their top marginal rate. And the payment will only match to gains at 20% is our top capital gains tax rate if all of the income has first been matched. So th this rule is often problematic because typically the structures have been set up a number of years ago, not always, but regularly they have. So the, the level of income and gains is significant. So you know it's often the case that there will be UK tax when their distributions to UK resident beneficiaries. I should just add, that there are some defences to those matching rules, which can often be helpful for South Africans. Again, we have to look at it in detail. They're quite complex. But for example, we've got a motive defence, which stops those horrible income matching rules applying. And the motive defence says, if you set up a trust and avoiding UK tax didn't play any part in your decision to set it up, we don't mind if South African estate duty was the motive, we're only concerned with UK taxes. If you can show that you set up a trust years ago for, for South African estate duty purposes, and there were, you know, UK, moving to the UK wasn't even a, a sort of, you know, a glimmer in your eye, then sometimes the, that defence can apply, which means that those horrible matching rules won't kick into play. So again, it's, it's very important that advice is sought before arriving in the UK so that we can look at those structures in detail. So, Catherine, that's really important and meaningful information that you've shared with us. And again, really just emphasizing the need to get that uh, independent tax advice before you go off to the UK or any other international geography for that matter. But perhaps, Liz, one of the questions I know that our listeners will have top of mind is, will one pay tax in both jurisdictions? So, Nausea, it's a very real possibility. It's quite technical and complex, the rules, but you may very well end up in a position where you're paying 36% tax in South Africa because those conduit rules don't apply. And then in the UK, you can end up paying 45%. So you can imagine if 100 rand or 100,000 rand is being distributed, 36% is being shaved off by SARS and a further 45% is being shaved off by HMRC, you can end up in a really bad situation. And I think this comes down to the DTA and lack of treaty relief that there is. Yes, exactly, Liz. The, the, the DTA works very well when you're looking at individuals' income and gains. It doesn't work very well when you look at trusts. There are all sorts of technical issues with it, which I won't go into because the viewers will lose the will to live if I do. But um, 
you're looking at different taxpayers. So, well, there's a few problems with it. So the trust in South Africa generally pays the tax and then we're looking at beneficiaries. So the, the aim of the DTA is to make sure the same taxpayer doesn't pay double tax. So you often have a mismatch there. The other problem is, is that our rules in the UK are deeming rules. So you're paying tax on a deemed income and gains. And in South Africa, you typically pay tax on the actual income and gains. So for all of those, those horrible technical reasons, trusts and DTAs are the one area where there is a real risk of double tax. So ideally, what you want to do is come well in advance of arriving in the UK so that we can look at potentially winding up the South African trust before you get here or receiving a big distribution in the UK tax year before you arrive to avoid some of those horrible issues which arrive with the DTA and trusts. But staying with trusts and and maybe Liz to bring your voice back here, what about an offshore trust? Yeah, so a lot of clients do have local trusts as well as offshore trusts. The good thing in, and this is a little bit of good news here, is that the difference between South African trust and an offshore trust, obviously from a UK perspective, they're both considered offshore, but from an SA perspective, a South African trust pays tax itself. So you have those conduit problems and the 36% tax rate arising, where a foreign trust, a non-resident trust, isn't subject to any tax in South Africa, and therefore it's actually only the UK rules that need to be taken into account. So you don't have that big 36% being shaved off the top, and it's completely outside of the South African tax net, and it's only the UK rules that need to be taken into account. Mm. Uh, Catherine, your perspective on on the offshore trust? Yeah, and I exactly I agree exactly with what Liz has just said. Basically, the rules, those horrible matching rules I described, they can still apply. But the difference is there's almost never a possibility of double tax because typically the trust set up in the offshore jurisdiction won't pay tax locally in that jurisdiction so that you eliminate the fear of double tax and then you just look at the UK tax consequences. So, so that's the main difference between South African domestic trusts and offshore trusts. Catherine, both you and Liz have touched on CITES taxes, and perhaps this might be a good place in the conversation to get a little bit into that. How are CITES taxes relevant in this conversation? Sure. So if we look at trusts, uh, broadly speaking, they either, I mean, I suppose South African trusts won't often have UK assets, very rarely, I would imagine. But if, so if we look at offshore trusts, if they're set up by non-domiciled individuals, you know, with the right advice, they will be set up before any South Africans become domiciled, provided they don't own any UK real estate directly or indirectly, and provided that if they own shares in UK companies, they don't own them directly, they own them via an offshore company, then they won't we don't look through that offshore company, so they won't there won't be any CITES issues to worry about. If a trust owns shares in a UK company directly, then there are CITES issues, and we've got some horrible rules which mean that they can be subject to 10-year annual charges, broadly speaking, a 6% of the value of that UK CITES property every 10 years. So we usually advise if you want to invest in UK assets, UK shares, UK companies, then you do it via an underlying company. And we generally say don't invest in residential UK real estate via a trust at all. Obviously, CITES taxes are equally, if not more important for individuals. So I mentioned earlier that 
broadly speaking, you will, even if you're not UK domiciled, so even if you're fully South African, so you're still living in South Africa, you will still be subject to inheritance tax in the UK on UK CITES assets, you know, immovable property in the UK, shares in UK companies. Broadly speaking, if it's over £325,000, you will be subject to inheritance tax at 40% on the value of your UK CITES assets, which exceed £325,000. Don't think just because you are fully South African that you aren't potentially within the UK inheritance tax net because you are a spot significant UK CITES assets and that's sometimes or that often surprises people. Yeah and Catherine you know a lot of people often ask us the question okay there are these UK CITES assets but I'm living here in South Africa am I going to pay estate duty in South Africa and CITES tax in the UK? The good news is is that no you won't. So what happens is that you will get a credit against your estate duty in South Africa for the CITES taxes that you have paid in the UK. So you will you will only pay the maximum rate of 40% as opposed to 40% in the UK and 20% here in South Africa because you will get a credit for those taxes. And one nice thing about the UK is there is spousal rollover. So when a husband and a wife leave assets to each other, there's no estate duty. It's similar in the UK. There is that spousal rollover, unlike the US, which also have CITES taxes, but there isn't the spousal rollover. So that's also a question we often get as regards to estate duty versus CITES taxes. I think what we've heard in this conversation has really been incredible. You've both managed to really simplify what could otherwise be quite a scary decision for one to make. However, what I'd love for us to do as we begin to wrap up this conversation is to really tap into some of your top takeaways, the kind of things that you'd like our listeners to take with them from this conversation, but also to remember and potentially take forward. And maybe, Catherine, I'm going to kick off with you first. What are your top takeaways or key messages that you'd like to leave with us? Thanks, Nozi. I suppose the crucial thing is is getting advice and getting it ideally well in advance of your planned arrival date. So much of the pre-arrival planning relies on you doing it in the UK tax year before you arrive. So our UK tax year starts very randomly on the 6th of April each year. Lots of clients, they I, I understand completely, they're busy sort of emigrating from the country. They've got lots on their mind and all the sort of personal issues they're dealing with. But ideally, come to us well in advance of, you know, the year that you tax year that you arrive in the UK so that we can give you solid advice. We can review your structures and get you in the best position possible from a UK tax perspective before you arrive. That, I think that's that's key to UK planning. Mm, pre-arrival advice indeed. Liz, let's get your voice in here. What would you like our listeners to walk away with today? Our team here at Investec are here to help you navigate all these complexities and make sure you don't end up going from the frying pan into the fire. There are a lot of pitfalls that you need to be careful that could trip you up, but at the same time, there are a lot of benefits to be had should you do your planning correctly. It's also very important to realize is that this is not a one-size-fits-all situation. Each family has different circumstances, and this is going to impact the type of planning and structuring that you need to put into place. And as Catherine mentioned, it's critical that you actually get advice 
to determine which is going to be the best route for you and your family going forward. A massive thank you to you, Lizzie and Catherine. You've done a stellar job of running through the things that South Africans need to know when moving to the UK or investing in the UK markets. Of course, if any of the conversations that we've had today are of interest to you and you'd like to take these conversations forward with your private banker or your wealth manager, they're just a phone call away and we'd strongly encourage you to do that. Remember to also get your independent tax advice. As Lizzie has indicated, no two families are the same and each of our circumstances are unique. Remember, of course, that you can also find out about the ins and outs of living and investing in the U.S., in Mauritius and Australia. And all you need to do is simply click on the links on this web page for more insights. Thank you so much for making the time to join us and a massive thank you to Lizzie and Catherine for joining us as well. No two families are the same. And so we encourage you strongly to get in touch with your private banker or your wealth manager to take forward the conversations that have come out of this podcast. In addition to that, it's very important to get independent tax advice that is specific to your and your family's circumstances. Invested Wealth and Investment is a member of the JSC Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives, and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, a registered credit provider and authorized financial services provider. The opinions featured in this podcast are not to be considered as the opinions of Invested Wealth and Investment and do not constitute financial or other advice.